great to be with you today. Grab your Bibles and turn with me to the letter of Ephesians. If you don't have a Bible with you and you're interested in being in God's Word with us, as we turn through the pages, there's many in the back of the room available to you. Thankful for this time we have together with God's good Word. We continue our sermon series through the letter of Ephesians. Very passionate here at Disciples Church to preach through God's Word, verse by verse, and uh, to really understand God's Word in the context He gives it. Um, joyful for this journey we've been on, this amazing letter. Uh, Paul writes to the believers in the region of Ephesus. For many years I look forward to preaching this letter, and it's been a, a true joy in our 67th sermon in this journey. And today we turn to chapter 6, the final chapter, uh, and uh, met much good counsel, instruction uh, before us. And so I'm um, excited for Today, sermon that I've titled, Raising God's Children, God's Way. Uh, part one of two, we'll be back to this passage our next time together. Today I want to focus on verse one through three. And let's look to our text together to begin. Ephesians chapter six, one through three. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Let's start by seeing God's good design for parents and children. Before we get into the didactic command, which is clearly centered on obedience and honoring I want to take a few moments to really see God's good design for the multiplication of mankind and God's design for the family. God's good design for the human race is that he would multiply mankind generation unto generation by creating new people who are born into this world as infants and who then spend their first two decades of their life being raised, shaped, taught, disciplined, and loved by a mother and a father. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 27 through 28, we see God's creation mandate for the multiplication of mankind. Genesis 1, 27 through 28. So God created man in his own image. In the image of God, he created him. Male and female, he created them. And God blessed them. And God said to them, Be fruitful and multiply, and fill the earth and subdue it. There are so many ways the Creator could have set mankind in motion. So many ways He could have made each person come to be alive. And so many ways He could have caused these new created humans to learn how to do life. But He chose the best way. How do we know this? Because he is perfect in all his ways. Amen? God in all his creation exercises his wisdom, his perfection. He designed a husband and a wife to conceive, to give birth to a little human child. In some cases, to adopt a child. In this, the husband And the wife become a father and a mother. They become parents. In God's good design, parents are called by Him to raise, to love, to shape, to teach, to discipline, and to prepare His precious children for life, for love, for struggle, and for faith. When God created marriage, He created the means whereby new families would begin. Did you catch what I just said? A new family begins at marriage. Even without kids, a new family has happened. But when God created children to be born of parents, He created the means whereby families would grow in number and families would multiply generation to generation. Church, we should regularly give God praise for His good design. Do you thank Him when He ordains to bless you with children to raise? 
Surely He is the one due the praise. Do you trust Him in faith when He doesn't provide children for you to raise? Surely He is due our trust and our faith, even in the hardest of times. But when God does ordain a child to be born or a child to be adopted, God's word is clear to say that children are a blessing. Look to God's word with me. Psalm 127, 3 through 5 says, Behold, children are a heritage from the Lord, the fruit of the womb, a reward. Like arrows in the hand of a warrior are the children of one's youth. Blessed is the man who fills his quiver with them. Here, the psalmist says that our kids are like arrows in the hand of a warrior. This is not a small statement when you slow to think about how central and how important arrows are in the hand of a warrior. Church, see with me God's good design for the advancement of mankind and slow with me today to praise Him for it. Parents, are you rightly and ongoingly grateful if God has ordained to bless you with kids to raise? Children, are you rightly and ongoingly grateful if God has ordained that you are not an orphan, but blessed with parents to raise you? Think about the fact that from the beginning of time, God has ordained the multiplication of generation after generation worldwide. This is consisting, according to Scripture, of what is called the elect, also called vessels of mercy, and the reprobate, also called vessels of wrath, both created for God's glory, both created for His sovereign purpose. Paul is clear in Romans 9 to highlight that God does this, either to show His wrath, a attribute of God worthy to be praised, and to make known His power in the reprobate, and or to show His grace, also an attribute of God worthy to be praised, and to make known the riches of His glory in the elect. No matter God's ultimate purpose for each of our children in this, children are a blessing. Because good or bad, saved or damned, they ultimately exist for His glory, whereby His attributes will be put on display, whereby He will be glorified. And we get to play a part in that story. This is a high call on us as parents. Slow with me to really capture the attitude of gratitude that we should have at God's decree to simply bring children into our lives even when it doesn't turn out as we had hoped. The successful conception of a child is a blessing. The baby in the womb is a blessing. Life has been created. Life of a human is at work in the womb. This is a blessing. Even if you never meet that child after birth, a life was created and trusted to you to care for, to speak gospel truth to, to love and to nourish, to pray for, and to steward well. Equally, the opportunity to care for and love a foster child is a blessing. A foster child is a blessing even if that child never becomes your child. If that conceived child is never born or a foster child is never adopted, 
Every day that God entrusts to us as parents to love, to nourish, to care for children created in the image of God is a blessing. They're surely a blessing when they're born. When we get to hold them. When we get to feed them and help them. When we get to teach them See them learn to crawl, learn to walk, learn to run, learn to speak. And then there's that season when you wish they wouldn't speak. (laughs) But the reality is, some who are born, we don't get to hold. Because they're in the miku. We get to see them through plastic walls. Pray for them. Some who are born never get to run because their legs don't work right. Some don't get to see. Some don't hear. Some don't thrive mentally or socially like other kids. But they're still a blessing. Amen? Why? Why is that the case? Because they are created in the image of God by the sovereign decree of God. They're ordained by God Almighty to be formed and to live, even if that's only in the womb. Despite what sinful, self-serving, secular ideologies want to say, try to convince our culture of lies, life begins in the womb at conception. And every day that God gives us with a child in the womb or born, whatever condition that child may be in, they are a blessing to know, to love, to speak gospel truth to and to care for even if only for hours or days or months or years some of you are maybe wondering why I keep talking about speaking gospel truth to those in the womb I highly encourage you to speak gospel truth to those in the womb it's proven that they can hear in the womb. And what better thing to hear the voice of their mother and father to speak the truths of the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Church, we must see the days God gives us with a child or multiple children, they're a blessing from God. That means they're not owed to us. That means they're not guaranteed to us. They don't even belong to us ultimately why is this important to understand we must recognize the fact that these are God's children whom he has created and entrusted to us to love and to shape for his glory not for their glory and not for your glory we must never lose sight of the fact that raising our children is a privilege And not a right. God does not owe us this. Our children ultimately do not belong to us. They belong to Him. When we forget this, we make our children into the worst kinds of idols of our heart. And then we make God the one who is indebted to us and our heart's desire for these idols. This is dangerous and this is sinful. When we make our kids the source of our happiness or our life identity, then we are guilty of having an overgrip on them. And in this, we set ourselves up to be crushed. If they are never born, crushed. If they become sick, if they get hurt, if they abandon or betray us, if they pass away before us, 
or if it's God's will to never save them. When we have an overgrip on our children, we can become prone to being more concerned with pleasing them or with keeping a good relationship with them than with pleasing God to parent them as He has clearly called us to. When we are more concerned with keeping our kids close than raising them in the disciplines and the truths of God, then we compromise the very priorities God has given us to shape them and raise them. Parents, we must keep a right grip and view on our children. Some of you are not ready to hear what's in store for us today or in our next sermon together because you are sinfully over-clinging to your kids or you're all too focused on yourself. Please hear me. You will not love them. You will not lead them. You will not disciple them. Discipline them. Raise them to the glory of God or for their good if you have an over-grip on them or if you are too self-focused and making it about you. If at any point it becomes about you and what you feel God owes you or what you think the kids owe you or what you need them to do for you so that you can feel satisfied or content, if this is you, you will be driven to despair. For you are clinging to something that will fail you. They cannot be your Savior. They're not intended to do this for your heart. It's not about you. Your kids and your desire for your kids must not be the source of your joy, of your peace, of your satisfaction, or your identity. If so, this is idolatry. God alone must be these things to you. He must be first in your life. Only when He is truly first will you love and lead your kids rightly and for His glory and not yours. So first and foremost, we only have children by God's ultimate decree and will. For whatever duration of life and circumstances, He wills for them. We walk by faith in this and not by sight. I know that many days with kids of varying age can be very hard. But we need to stop this morning and simply acknowledge if the Lord ordained pregnancy or any amount of days with a child that He created, no matter their condition, this is to be counted as a blessing, an honor, one for which He is due praise and gratitude, one for which we should be faithful to steward their lives His way and for His glory. Now, for the economy of the family to function correctly as God designed it, to best benefit the child in their formation, provision, and protection, the parents need to be present and they need to be engaged in parenting. And the children must be obedient and honoring to the parents' God-given authority. This is Paul's point in our passage as we move into this portion of the text. Just like a marriage doesn't work the way God intended it when a husband doesn't lead or when a wife does not submit to the husband's leadership, the family doesn't work well or rightly when parents don't lead and discipline their kids or when the kids don't obey and honor their parents. And so, let's go back to the text. Paul says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. Why should a child obey and honor their father and mother? Because they're good parents? Because they are caring? Or because they try hard? Because they lead you in a way you want to be led? No. A child is to obey and honor his father and mother because it is right. Because it is the righteous thing to do. Because by obeying and honoring his or her parents, 
They are obeying and honoring the command of the holy, infinite God on their lives. What makes it right that a child obeys and honors their parents? The universal moral law of God. Meaning the law that is for all of mankind. The law that's written on our heart. The law that we are given the pinnacle, the greatest summary of the universal moral law of God in the Ten Commandments, also known as the Decalogue. In the Ten Commandments, God is expressing a helpful summary of the moral law, the universal moral law. And in the Fifth Commandment, we see this, Exodus 20, verse 12. Honor your father and your mother, that your days may be long in the land that your Lord your God has given you. Church, it is essential we see the command of God is on all children to obey their parents and that this is not a recommendation they may consider some days and not others. No, it is a command of the Holy God on the very life of the child. It is to be done by the child without delay, without negotiation, and always. This is serious because we are dealing with the authority and the clarity of God Almighty. Children, let me give you some important clarity here. You do not honor God rightly if you only listen to and obey your parents because of horizontal reasons. Let me define what I mean by that. If you only obey them because you don't want to get in trouble, or because it gets you something that you want, you are obeying them for wrong reasons. If this is why you obey your parents, you are obeying them for sinful reasons, for self-minded reasons. You are to obey your parents because it honors and obeys God's command on your life. I really want you to stop and think about that. You obey your parents because it is the right thing to do. It is what honors God, the creator of your life, the Lord of your life. This must be your motivation. Not what you get out of it or not what you avoid. This means you will obey their rules even when they're not around to know if you're doing it or not. Why? Because you're not obeying them for them. You're not obeying them for you. You are obeying them for the Lord. Now this ramps up another level when we get to honor your father and mother. Why? Because honor and respect are more than an action. They are an action, but they're more than an action. Before I get to the emphasis of that point, let me talk about how they are an action briefly. You show honor, kids, to your parents by the way you talk to them, by the posture of your body, by the attentiveness of your listening. These are an instrumental Reality, if you are truly going to honor and respect your parents, little kids, teens, I really want you to think about this today. Do you truly show honor and respect to your parents in how you listen to them, in how you talk to them, in how you engage them with your tone or your body language? You are a hypocritical Christian if you claim Christ as Lord, but you disrespect your parents. You are dishonoring God when you do not show honor to the authority that is over you. This is fundamental and unavoidable. Back to my point that honor and respect is more than action. True honor and respect are not just outwardly shown, they are inwardly felt. True honor and respect are not just outwardly shown, 
they are inwardly felt. To not truly honor or respect someone is to show them honor or respect on the outside when you have no honor or respect for them. This is to be hypocritical. It's to be dishonest. Children, you are to hold them up. In your mind and in your heart, you are to honor and respect them. Hear me clearly. Not because they're good parents. Not because you like them. (laughs) But because... God ordained them to be your parents because they are an authority that God Almighty has put over you as a child. To paraphrase theologian John Gill, the duty of all children, whether male or female, whether young or old, whether immediate offspring or adopted, is to honor and respect both father and mother. Whether parents by birth, stepfathers or stepmothers, guardians, grandfathers or grandmothers, children should be honoring and respectful. This should be hearty, it should be sincere, and not merely verbal or show or appearance. Gill's making a critical point. We are to not reason our way out of obedience of authority by our circumstances. We are to honor and respect the authority God's put over us. No matter the uniqueness of the relationship. The simple principle applies, and if you learn it well, you will do well. It doesn't matter that it's your stepmom. Doesn't matter that he's not your birth father. It doesn't matter that you think your grandparent is mean. You are commanded by God to respect those in authority who are over you. This is not a minor thing. It's not a meaningless thing. This is a serious and most prioritized command on a child's life. You could argue there is nothing more important than a child learning to be diligent in respecting and obeying their parents and the authorities over them. Kids, if you need to confess sin in this area, do it. Don't do it in line at McDonald's. Do it in a serious and focused place where your confession is authentic to admit your sinful disobedience or disrespect. And then repent. Repentance is to turn unto a new practice of honor and respect. Not only declare that you will do it, but then do it. This is right. This honors God. Family, See with me how central and serious this command is on our children. And then see with me how good it is. We must see that God's law is so good for us. We often teach this reality when we talk about the purpose of God's law. In the Word of Truth Catechism, question 41, the answer is this. God's law displays His perfect perfections and glory, informs mankind what is required of us, and reveals our sin and our desperate need for Jesus. When a child is obedient to their parents, they worship God. They honor their parents, and they benefit in life as they learn obedience. This is a necessary learned discipline for life and godliness. Consider with me, if you do not learn how to honor authority and what God has established as the first and one of the most loving and important relationships you have as a child, that with your parents, then you put off God's design for the way that you are to learn how to honor all authority in the rest of your life. And you will struggle. 
Let me show you how serious this is to God. When God gave the fifth commandment to the people of the Old Covenant, He took a child's obedience so seriously that if they proved to reject obedience and honor to their parents, even after discipline, they were to be punished. Punished with death. I want you to think about that for a moment. In the Old Covenant, God was so serious about a child's obedience that they could be legally killed for their sinful disobedience. Some of you are going, come on, that's not in there. There's no way the Old Covenant calls for that. I defer to the text of Holy Scripture. Deuteronomy chapter 21, 18 through 21. If a man has a stubborn and rebellious son who will not obey the voice of his father or the voice of his mother, and though they discipline him, will not listen to them, then his father and his mother shall take hold of him and bring him out to the elders of his city at the gate of the place where he lives. And they shall say to the elders of his city, This our son is stubborn and rebellious. He will not obey our voice. He is a glutton and a drunkard. Then all the men of the city shall stone him to death with stones. So you shall purge the evil from your midst, and all Israel hear and fear. Exodus twenty-one seventeen: Whoever curses his father or his mother shall be put to death. God is serious about child a child obeying and respecting his or her parents. You better believe it. Again, this is not minor. This is not something to consider. This is the primary discipline of a child to be learned and to practice. Can you imagine, as the Deuteronomy text alludes, how effective this was in that community and day for kids seeing how serious this was to God? Hey, Mom, I haven't seen Timothy down the street lately. (laughs) Mom says, didn't you hear? Timmy was unrepentantly disrespectful and disobedient to his parents. Timmy's gone. Proverbs 30, 17, the eye that mocks a father and scorns to obey a mother will be picked out by the ravens of the valley and eaten by the vultures. Now to be clear, this law of practice was for the old covenant, is not for the here and now, while there may be layers of disfellowship warranted. I want to be extra clear. The trespassing question, the application of this law in the Old Covenant, was not a casual, slip-of-the-tongue thing. It was a deep-seated rebellion, an ongoing attitude of sinful pride and rebellion to God's command that had to be dealt with. I say all this to get to the nature of God's promise. When the fifth commandment was given, God promised that those children who obeyed their parents would get to see and enjoy the promised land instead of being killed and then not get to enjoy the land of milk and honey. Now notice, when Paul speaks in our passage in Ephesians 6, it's close to what was said in the fifth commandment, but not exactly the same, and this is for an important reason. In Ephesians 6, 1 through 3, it says, Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. The first observation I want to help you see here is that the command to honor your father and mother in the Ten Commandments is the fifth commandment, not the first. So what is he meaning when he says, This is the first commandment with a promise? He means this is the first commandment of the commandments with a promise attached to it. The first of the commandments with a promise. Here in Ephesians 6.1, Paul is quoting Exodus 20, verse 12, where it says clearly, Honor your father and mother that your days may be long in the land, and that the Lord your God 
that the Lord your God is giving you. This is referring to God's old covenant promise to his people to bring them to the promised land, land flowing with milk and honey. But when Paul speaks this in Ephesians 6, after the death and resurrection of Christ, and the installation of the new covenant, it means a change has happened. See, the adjustment is needed in the Ephesians 6 text because what was promised in the old covenant is positive law. Positive law, to remind you, is law and commands based on the will of God for a particular time, a particular people, and a particular purpose. In other words, the promise to the Old Covenant people to bring them into the promised land was fulfilled. He did that. That's not promised to the New Covenant people in the same way. It's been fulfilled. What Paul is saying as he ties back to the command and the promise is that obeying your parents and learning proper obedience and respect in general will mean for you a better and longer life. This is true. Think about with me, why is life better and longer for the child who obeys and respects his parent? Because they won't be dealing with ongoing consequences of being grounded, having their stuff taken away, or their freedom taken away. This is important. It's, it's another layer as to why, why a child learning to be obedient and honoring his or her parents is good for the rest of their lives. The promise that life is better when you obey authority and honor those in authority doesn't go away when you're an adult, right? Adults who don't practice proper obedience for authorities suffer great consequences that can affect or even shorten their lives. Consequences like being fired, by being put on leave, being put in jail, being fined, having your stuff taken away, your wages garnished, and or ultimately even losing your freedom or your life. A sad modern day example of this is when kids and or adults are disobedient to law enforcement officers. In a stressful situation, after many attempts to request that they put their hands up or do whatever removes the possibility of threat, the authoritative official, by God's decree, is left then to resort to physical enforcement in the threatening situation. And the disobedient person is then tackled or sometimes even shot because they did something to not only show improper submission, but possibly life-threatening aggression. Now, are all law enforcement officers without blame for mishandling these moments? Surely not. Right? Sin is at work in them too. I'm not saying that. But are many, if not most, of these tragic confrontations preventable if only the teen or the adult would just respect the authority of the law enforcement officer? The answer is yes. And yet our society, in all of its lostness and lies, cries foul, claiming that the answer is to eliminate the police. No, the answer lies in obeying God's commands. The answer is parents teaching their children to respect and obey authority. God has given us the answer in His good commands. But we are guilty of playing light with what God has commanded us. And so we end up with a society of disrespectful and disobedient people. And let me be very clear what Paul is not saying here in reflecting on the promise of God. He's not saying that if a child is obedient or honoring, that God promises to put that child in bubble wrap and float them through the rest of their life without hardship and they'll live to be really old. No, that is prosperity gospel nonsense. God's creation is never free from God's sovereign rule over that creation. It is still his perfect right to mold and manage the clay any way he wills, long or short, hard or not. 
In the end, if we walk by faith and not by sight, we will trust God's sovereign plans for our kids and for us. But the promise is still good. You learn to obey and honor authority. Life will be better. Let me pause here and just ask our parents just to take some honest account. How seriously do you take this command for your children? And I don't mean your Sunday school answer. Because sadly, many parents are keenly aware that their child is disrespectful, mouthy, slow to obey, guilty of talking back, and on and on. But the problem is, all they do is approach for some kind of peaceable minimum. In other words, the effort to truly teach them regular and ongoing obedience and respect is left short because either it's just too much work or because you're just content to kind of take what you can get, hang your hat on progress, and call it good. The problem is the child is still breaking the command. This is not minor. They're still disrespectful. They're still slow to respond. They still talk back. This is unacceptable. Church, this is a fundamental problem that cannot be tolerated if we're going to honor God or love our kids. To do just enough to get through the day is to not love them or lead them in the good ways that God has commanded us to do. Parents, I want to say something very important and often hard to hear, but so needed. Most often, I believe, your child's disobedience is primarily your issue and not theirs. What that means is that when you're struggling with disobedience and disrespect, you are struggling with something that you're doing in a lack of context or discipline or consistency or expectations over that child. You're giving them some kind of room to run. And your hope is less than just hoping that they change and needs to be you sitting down and going to work. I know this because this has been my wife and I's journey at many moments along the way. X, Y, or Z child is really struggling right now. And the focus then is what are we doing or not doing that needs to change to help them grow in this practice of discipline or obedience. Something has to change in how you're responding, how you're disciplining them, in your expectations, in your teaching, in your walking with them. Hear me. They will not learn greater discipline or respect without you. You are their God-given means for these things. To shape them and train them in these ways. He's called you, the parents, to be this for them for two decades of their life. Now hear me clearly. Every child struggles with this. All right? For some, it is in seasons. Praise God, only for seasons. For some, it's when they're a baby. For some, it was the toddler years. For some, it was the preteens. For some, it was in the know-it-all teenage years. For some, it was at every base they crossed. But this is why every parent must buckle up and walk closely with their children in these stages to help them see there's no room for disobedience or disrespect. This can't just be declared. It must be followed up with, walked with, trained, and disciplined. To be very frank, this is why our modern system of two parents at work all day long is a broken system because our kids need more regular formation more consistently by you, their parents, not by someone else. Parents, do you take this area of your child's life serious enough? Is your child known as being disrespectful, mouthy, slow to listen, 
Do you see that this is a serious problem and not a small problem? Do you see that if this is the case, then you have real work to do? And that you're going to trust God to give you what you need for that work to do for this child for the duration that you'll need it. I'm going to return to this next week. Some practical things we can be doing for the formation of our kids in these things. But a few I want to share with you today. The first, you cannot let them practice disobedience or disrespect. To give them room to practice it is to give them room to get good at it. Are you the coach on their field essentially overseeing their practice of the wrong habits? Are you training the team the wrong direction because of how you let them practice disrespect or dishonor? They should never get to tell you no when you tell them to do something. If you ask them a question of preference, they can say yes or no. That's appropriate. You want spaghetti? Or, you know, whatever. That's a question of preference. But when you tell them, I made you spaghetti tonight and you're going to eat it, they don't get to tell you no. To tell you no is to disrespect you and disobey you. And I know that many parents get this in general, but all too often I'll see parents fumble with it. Kid will clearly say no, and they'll kind of like try to like push that under the rug and kind of get them to where they want them to go instead of stopping to say, a word just came out of your mouth after a direct command or instruction that should never come out of your mouth. That word no in that context should never exist, and it should be treated with swiftness and all the direct discipline needed so they understand, I don't go down that road again. And yet I'll run into parents who will say, man, we really struggle with that. And I go, you know why? Because you have let them practice it. You've given them room to learn it. Another quick tip to share with you. Don't tell them to do something more than once without consequences. To tell them twice or three times is to teach them to not listen to you the first time. You're training them. They don't need to listen to you the first time. They need to listen to you when your tone gets elevated the third time. Because you're teaching them that. Also, in line with this, don't count in discipline. Count when teaching math. Don't count in discipline. What do I mean by that? Well, you know what I mean. Hey, little Sally Joe, you need to go do this. Sally Joe doesn't listen. One, two, three. Why, why, do, why do they always act on three? Because there's something about discipline that comes after three that they know to not cross. You taught them to wait until three instead of to obey when you first told them. You see how much of this is connected back to us. Another one, they don't get to throw fits. Fits are unacceptable. Allowing them to practice fit-throwing will only haunt you later. They must learn that when you tell them to do something, it is serious. Why? Because you are their authority and their God-given priorities to obey you and respect you. Parents, you must hold the line. And to let them spill off into fits or to practice fit-throwing is to let them not take serious what you've told them to do. Now, I understand, very practiced in this, in my home with six children, if you don't know me, uh, ranging 16 to one and a half, that there is a phase of their toddler years where they haven't learned to communicate fully. Um, I know it well right now. <laughs> where much of 
Roman's sinful disposition is to share his frustration when we're telling him not to climb onto the chair and then onto the dining table. That's great. He thinks that's awesome. Right? And he's constantly, right? So there is a reality of that non-communication transition where we have to understand that that's the way they're exercising themselves. But I still believe they should not be allowed to throw fits. You have to still cut it off at the pass, not let it get practiced. And here's why. To let them practice it and get used to it is to essentially let them have the door open that they can return to it when they're older. And trust me, an older child or even a teenager throwing fits is a way more miserable thing. And we've all been in that situation where a child is acting up, not listening, doing something they shouldn't, and you're trying to talk to another adult, you're trying to do something else. The last thing you want to say is interrupt your conversation. Say, I'm sorry, I, excuse me, I need to go deal with this promptly with my child. Uh, it's embarrassing, right? I'm sorry, you've got to handle this. And, but I love it when a parent does this well. I love it when a parent's in a season, bring their family to our house. Three, four, five times that night, they're swiftly, steadily, with a radical evenness of temper, dealing with the formation and discipline of their child. I'm not put off by that. Why? Because their parenting is at work, even when they're somewhere else. One of the worst things you can do is put your parenting away when you're at church or with other people. It's some of the best training your kid needs. And we need to embrace it. A parent, I ask, I plead with you, put away valuing more to not be embarrassed than to do what your child needs in this primary season of when they need it. Excuse yourself in the conversation five times if you need to. Leave the event if you need to. That's good for the formation of your child. They need this consistency. The other reality that you must see when you don't prioritize this kind of immediate discipline or correction is you end up with a child who's far worse later. Again, because you've given them room to practice. You haven't reined it in when they were younger. And again, in this case, I can promise you, you'll experience a whole other level of embarrassing when these things go down when they're older. The truth is, kids will be kids, right? Sinners are going to sin, right? This is true. But parents, we've got to be so careful to not hang our hat on this. We have to fall off the fence, not excusing our kids' disobedience and disrespect under the banner of kids will be kids and sinners are going to sin. This is not a place to land. Instead, you need to go to work. Be the parents they need to bring the discipline they need so that they can honor the Lord in these ways. Raising children in general can be one of the most precious things in life, and it can be one of the hardest things of life. It's hard because our kids are sinners in need of ongoing shaping and discipline, and most of all in need of a Savior. I remember the days with our firstborn, Noah. Some of you have been with us long enough. Remember his days when he was younger, too. I remember my wife getting to a place where she's like, I don't even like him anymore. <laughs> she's done. Praise God for endurance and pressing through. God's blessed us with a special kid. Amen? Amen. Who knows becoming um, still a sinner and desperate for a Savior, still in need of much sanctification, but just one testimony that the hard times are worth it. Press through. Press on. Be faithful to that call, even if the outcome doesn't change, even if it's a lifetime of struggle. It's still a blessing, and it's still a way we honor God with what we're doing with it. What we must see is that the hardship of parenting is not only linked to our kids' sin, but often linked to our sin. 
Do you realize that parenting is often hard because of your sin? Because we too are selfish people. We can be guilty of only putting in the minimum, of making excuses for our kids, guilty of taking shortcuts when they present themselves when it comes to our parenting. The simple fact is it's all too easy to get busy with our own life, our own interest, especially when the culture is pressing all of their agenda to keep you extra busy, to keep you making more money. Parents, I get it. It's tiring. It can feel like you just don't have the energy to invest in your kids, spiritual character, spiritual development that they truly need. If we're honest, we're often too thankful for video games and iPads that keep them busy just so we can have a break or do something else for a while. Yes, parenting is exhausting. But it is essential. It's a true priority. And it needs our prioritized efforts and not just our leftovers. It's, it's a good gift, moms, to be home, to care for, to pour into, to shape your kids. Dads, at the end of your long day of work, it's a good gift to get to come home to children, arrows in your quiver, to get to speak into them, discipline them, shape them. I said first hour, I'll say it here again. I might have missed it earlier. Um, Moms, don't just leave all the discipline for dad. That's not good for you. You need to be a right authority of discipline in your home. Or it's going, to be, it's going to make for really long days. Dads, you need to help make sure that the kids understand they need to be respecting and honoring their mother. And, and not being guilty of taking all the discipline yourself so that they never learn to have that kind of respect for her. But dads, just because she's primary at home doesn't mean you get to say, I worked a long day, finish what you started, but I'm out, I'm done. No, it's time to clock in, dads. It's time to to tag her out and give her a break and love and lead and discipline and do what's needed. If you're struggling, parents, with this, can I remind you that only one child ever obeyed their parents perfectly? It was from Nazareth. His name is Jesus. Luke 2.51 testifies that Jesus was submissive to his parents. Jesus was without sin. I say this to say that all of our kids are sinful and they're in need of prayer and our love and our leading. All of us need the Lord to help us when it comes to our own relationship with the Lord to fuel us to do these things rightly so that we would be empowered by Christ to love selflessly and to have good endurance and steadfastness when it comes to our parenting. That we would do this with an evenness of temper and not with sinful anger or being out of gas, that the Lord would provide what we need. Now Paul highlights an important clarity here I want to touch on before we finish. In verse 1, children, he says, obey your parents in the Lord. Remember the context of these words. Paul is writing to the believers in the region of Ephesus. This letter is being read in Christian homes presence of the Lord in our homes, church, is not minor. It's major. What a blessing to have Jesus at work in our homes. Without Christ at work in our families, all we know is selfishness and sin. Sure, there may be moral conformity that our kids benefit by, but Christ at work is all the better and more helpful as we seek to honor God. Don't misunderstand. The command for children to obey their parents is not just a Christian thing. It's for all mankind. This is a universal moral law. It is no less a command on the most heathen household. But it is much sweeter to parent with the power of Christ at work in us and by His grace eventually in our kids. Children, young and old, do you realize that when you obey your, and honor your parents, you're honoring the Lord? Paul's clarity in the Lord points to all things that honor the Lord. What this also means is you're not to follow and obey your parents if they are trying to lead you into sin. Why? Because that would be to dishonor God, and you are to ultimately honor God. So you are not to obey your parents if it means doing something sinful 
you are to ultimately obey God. If your parents are leading you into mistruths or leading you into wrong readings of Scripture, you are not to honor them and obey them. You are to honor God and His Word. His Word is faithful and true. Parents, you are not to call your child to obey you if what you're asking of them is sinful. Your first priority is to serve is not to serve yourself or any kind of fleshly agenda, any kind of horizontal reasoning that you somehow elevate as more as better or more helpful than scripture. That is sinful. This is why we are to be desperate for the gospel. That both parents and children would have new birth. That each of us is dead in sin and all we do is sin in our own power. Only when we confess our sin and trust our lives to Jesus as Savior and Lord do we gain a power to righteously live for the glory of God. Paul speaks of this in Romans 6 and he says, What shall we say then? Are we to continue in sin now so more grace can abound? By no means. He goes on to talk about being buried with Christ and baptized with Christ into a death like His. And because we're buried with Him, we will also be raised as Christ was raised. We are to walk in the newness of life because of our new birth. And in Romans 6, 10-14, he says, for, for the death He died, He died to sin once and for all. But the life He lives, He lives to God. So you also must consider yourselves dead to sin and alive to God in Jesus Christ. Let not sin therefore reign in your mortal body to make you obey its passions. Do not present your members to sin as instruments for unrighteousness, but present yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life, and your members to God as instruments for righteousness. For sin will have no dominion over you since you are not under the law, but under grace. Oh, how desperate we are for Jesus to go to work in us, to send us on a new course, if maybe you're arriving today, you say, I've, I've done so much of this wrong. There's so much I have to do. I would say, praise God for the church, for the gospel, the word of God to go to work in your life. That with whatever days are before you, we'd be faithful with those days. The power of the Lord at work in and through us. Praise God for his grace in these things. Children, do you honor and obey your parents well? In the grace and the power the Lord Jesus has given you if you believe in him? There is no greater help to you than Christ at work in your life. Are you growing in Him? Are you growing in His Word, in righteousness and obedience? Children, do you cherish and lean on Jesus for what you need to honor His commands? There is no reason to sinfully talk back, or to be slow to respond, or to throw attitude at your parents. Honor the Lord in these things. Grow in Jesus You who are older teens, not yet adults, I would say this for you. You're not done with this most important area of life. If anything, you should be getting better and better at this as you mature in your faith. I know that everything in your flesh wants freedom. We all know. We've all been there. Freedom from teachers. Freedom from parents. You're chomping at the bit to be on your own. But it is in these final years of your childhood that your true valuing of being led, valuing the authority of your parents is maybe to you the most important. It is such a value to get you ready to be a good employee, a good citizen of society, brother or sister in the church, and a good spouse. Cherish these moments with your parents. Lean into them that God would be your authority, that God as God's assigned them to be your authority, even in these last years of your adolescence. Do you trust His good command is good for you? Or are you guilty in sin of thinking you have a better idea of how these things should go? To close, church, let us rejoice in the gospel of our Lord Jesus. Let's rejoice in God's sovereign plan to ransom us and adopt us as His own children. Amen? We did nothing to deserve this, and we did nothing to earn it. But we are truly kids of grace. May we whom God has given saving faith honor our Holy Father 
in all we do and say and think. For life will surely be better if lived rightly, righteously, for His glory and not for our own. Will you stand with me? I want to read Ephesians 1, 3-10 to recount that gospel proclamation of grace and our adoption and lead us into our last song together. Ephesians 1, 3-10 Rejoice in it with me, church. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing in the heavenly places even as He chose us in Him before the foundation of the world, that we should be holy and blameless before Him. In love He predestined us for adoption to Himself as sons through Jesus Christ, according to the purpose of His will, to the praise of His glorious grace, with which He has blessed us in the Beloved, In Him we have redemption through His blood, the forgiveness of our trespasses according to the riches of His grace, which He lavished upon us in all wisdom and insight, making known to us the mystery of His will according to His purpose, which He set forth in Christ as a plan for the fullness of time to unite all things in Him, things in heaven and things on earth. And the children of God said, Amen. Ephesians 6, 1 through 3. Children, obey your parents in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother. This is the first commandment with a promise, that it may go well with you and that you may live long in the land. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for this day that you have made. We thank you, Lord, for creating us. We thank you, Lord, for saving us. For those in this space or listening to this podcast later who are still dead in sin, they're still Lord of their own lives, I pray that you would give them saving faith to see that they deserve wrath because of their sin, to see the sweetness of grace and the perfection of Christ's work, on their behalf, to die in their place, to take on the wrath we deserved, that we'd be forgiven, that we'd be ransomed, set free, empowered with the Holy Spirit, adopted as children of God, that we would embrace the blessing of the local church to be committed, involved, making the most of these days you give us under the sun for your holy purposes one of those high purposes and calls on many of our lives is in this area of parenting. Lord, let us take these commands most seriously. The days you give us, that we'd be good stewards of them. The children would take most serious this command on their lives to worship and honor you as they obey and honor their parents. That it would go well with them in their life. Father, we thank you for grace. We thank you for Jesus. What a joy it is to be kids of grace. Hear us as we worship you now for this good news. In Jesus' name we pray.